If I haven't had the opportunity to, to meet you yet, my name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fusion City Church, and so I get an opportunity a lot of weeks to stand up here, and what we're going to do is, man, we're just going to dig into the Bible and to take a look at what it has to say, but I don't want to get to that uh, too quickly before I've had the opportunity uh, personally to say to all of you moms out there, happy Mother's Day. This is a special day of the year, um, and uh, a lot of churches uh, will take this opportunity today to preach to you about what it means to be a godly mother and what it means to be loved, you know, by your children and yeah, we're not going to do that, uh, just because we like to be different a little bit. So um, if you came expecting the, uh, the typical Mother's Day message, congratulations, uh, you're, that's not happening today, uh, because I, I didn't want to miss this opportunity as we've been, I don't really have another reason for it other than I just like being different, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so we, we, we're not going to do the typical Mother's Day, here's what it means to be mom and, and mom message, because I want us to, to take an opportunity today to continue some of the thoughts that we started um, in this series last week, we kicked off this, this series called The Gospel. And we said we didn't get really creative or, or elaborate or complex with the title. We just wanted to spend a few weeks to talk about what the gospel really is. And, and more so than just what it is, but the implications of it uh, into our lives. And so last week we talked about what the gospel is. We said that there's been some confusion about what the gospel really is. And then we learned together last week through God's word that the gospel is the story of Jesus. That's eternity past, life of Christ in the incarnation on the earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That the whole story of Christ is the gospel. And it's not over yet. The gospel is still continuing And we said that each of us has a role in the gospel, that his story affects our story, that we have a role to play in the the gospel that's still unfolding as the story of Christ goes on. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that today, because here's the reality, that something as powerful as the story of Jesus should have an impact on us. It should, because of its power, because of of the, the message that is contained within it. It's powerful. It has a a tremendous impact. And one of those really smart philosopher science guys, I don't remember which one or exactly how to say it, but he said that for every action, for every impact, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction, something like that. Like I said, I don't remember it verbatim, but there's something about when something happens, something else happens, right? Y'all remember that from high school? Uh, One of you nerds, uh, get with me after and explain to me how I messed that up, all right? Uh, looking forward to that conversation. Um, but every time there is an impact because of something so powerful as the gospel, there should be some form of response. There should be something that happens as a result. And I want to talk about what our response or our role in the gospel, how the impact of the gospel should change and shape us and how we live and then what we do, our reaction to the action of Jesus in the gospel is what I want to talk about today. And I want to do so uh, through, this, through this lens of understanding the answer to one question. Uh, but before I get to that question, I want to set it up a little bit like this. A few, few weeks ago, several weeks ago, was spring break. Now, my, my wife is an elementary school teacher. Um, and so every year around Easter time, she gets spring break. And there's this, you know, this week where she doesn't have to go to the school and 
and teach. And so that week, I, I worked really hard, and I got caught up on some stuff that I, some deadlines that I had coming up, and I pushed some other stuff off to the end of the week, and I carved out a day in the middle of her spring break for us to spend together. I took a day off in the middle of the week so that we could, you know, the girls were out of school, my daughters, and my wife is out of school because she's a teacher, and this is going to be a great family day. And so I told her about this coming up, and I said, hey, I'm taking Wednesday off. Let's just find something to do. Let's go do a family thing or whatever. And I said, you know, it's your spring break, and you've been working really hard. You just tell me what you want to do, and we'll go do it. Anybody remember that movie a whole bunch of years ago um, with Mel Gibson? It was called What Women Want. Y'all remember that one where he could read women's minds? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all, you know, not so, not, not quite as old as me, maybe not remember that so much, but there was this movie where Mel Gibson could read the minds of women. That's the plot. Like, that's all of it. Um, I've prayed for that. I, I, would, I would very much like that to be a spiritual gift. Um, but, but I've never gotten it. And so, back to the story of my wife. I said, hey, what do you want to do. She provided me, in response to my question, with a list of things that we could do. Well, we could go to the park, or we could go to the movies, or we could go to the new water aquarium thing at the mall. We could do this, and we could do that, and we could do this, and we could do this. Awesome. What do you want to do? Well, we could do this, and we could do this, and we could do this. And, uh, I never, I never got an answer of what she wanted to do, so we stayed at home. <laughs> we, we didn't do anything, and in my frustration, we just said, forget it. We'll just stay here and hang out at the house, which turned out to be great, and we had some fun playing games and, and whatnot. It was a good day. Um, now, I don't tell you that story to bash my wife, um, I, especially being Mother's Day. That would be weird. But I tell you that story to tell you that, that God is, is much different in the way that he communicates to us what he wants. He's very explicit, very clear about that which he wants. Um, But before we get to that sidebar um, message within the message, I believe God made women that way. Men, if you're listening, for the men folk, tune in. God made women that way so that they would remain a mystery to us for this purpose. Because once a man has conquered something, once we're on the top of the hill and we're the hero and it's done, like we done, we done whipped up on somebody and won the battle and it's over and we have conquered them, we know all and possess all and have overcome all, we get bored. And it's on to the next hill and it's on to the next battle and it's on to the next adventure. Here's what God did in his brilliance for us men. He made women undiscoverable. So that, so that in a committed relationship with them, in a marriage relationship, we can pursue and pursue and pursue and never conquer. You will never know all. And it's the beauty and the majesty of God at work in marriage relationships so that we will pursue forever and never conquer. Because we never give up. You'll never win, dudes. You're, nev- you're never going to win. And it's beautiful because it's not, that's, that now it feels kind of frustrating sometimes, let's be honest. A lot of times my conversation spring break, right, frustrating, okay? But it's, it's not, 
frustrating for the purpose of just God being mean to us, but frustrating for the purpose so that we will continue to pursue our wives. Again, sidebar, nothing related to what else I'm going to talk about today. Just felt like we had to hit that, especially with it being Mother's Day. A little, little honor to the women. You are awesome and confusing, and we love you. All right. Now, back in, back in, all right? Oh, other message, current message. All right, now we're back in. So here's the question I want us to ask today, and I want us to answer today. Here's the question. It's very important. What does God want? I asked my wife, what do you want? She, she didn't give me an answer. But let's ask this question. What does God want? Now, here's what we typically do. Let me tell you real quick. I know you're writing that down because we put it on the screen. It's a, good question. it's a good question to write down. Here's what we typically do. What does God want for my life? And it becomes about us. What does God want for my business? And it's about the business. What does God want for my church? Now it's holy, but it's still about us. What does God want for my marriage? What does God want for my children? What does God want for, and we add something to. No, no, no. What? No qualifiers, no quantifying, no other thing to add to the question. Let's just ask and answer this question. What does God want? What is his desire? Can, can I show you? Can I show, let's do this. All right, rapid fire. Um, we're going to put the verses on the screen for you. You wouldn't be able to flip if you have your Bible. You wouldn't be able to flip fast enough to keep up with this unless you were like sword drill champion, you know, 1988. Um, so just for the purpose of, of, of quickness, if you want to follow along in your version, you can. They're in there, or we're going to put them on the screen here behind me. I want to hit these really quickly with, with um, small amounts of emphasis. All right, Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Here's one that's really popular, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness so everyone else will believe that I'm a really good Christian person. Nope. No. Why does he make me lie down in green pastures and lead me beside still waters and restore my soul and lead me in paths of righteousness? Here's why he does it. For his name's sake. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. And I know this one is out of order. We're going to go backwards because I, I want us to really see this one. I thought this one stuck out to me the most. I wrestled with this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 43 verse 25 says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake 
and I will not remember your sins. You tracking with that? Do you pick up on that? Do you know why God forgives your sin? Why he remembers your sin no more? See, you thought it was for you, didn't you? I did. I really thought God forgives my sin. That goes well for me. That's a good thing for me. But look at this, Isaiah 43, 25. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. What does God want? What does God want? Short answer. God wants glory. God wants to be glorified. God is passionate about his glory. Recognition, praise, honor, respect, glory, all of those things, synonymous. Which begs the question, why are we here as his creation? Why do we exist? We exist for his glory. You see, the uh, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Have you heard that phrase? That kind of catchphrase, necessity is the mother of invention. So God desires to be glorified, and then he created us. Why? To give him glory. You see, the, the purpose of a creation is to fulfill the design of the creator. Everything that exists, had somebody had something in mind, is the reason that it needed to be created. And the same thing is true for us. And so if God is after his glory, that is what he wants, that is the desire of his heart, then everything he creates is for the purpose to bring him glory. And a creator is never more honored than, than when his creation fulfills the purpose for which it was created. In other words, God is honored when we are what we were created to be, when we do what we were created to be, when we fulfill the design for which we were created. As a matter of fact, if you want to write this down, here's kind of the big idea for today. My design is the result of God's desire. How you are designed and what you are is the result of God's desire. So what are we? Let me show you again. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, and I, and I want to stop. Time out. Don't, don't read anymore. Look at me. Those are all the things that we are. That is our design. That is how we were created. That was what we were designed to be, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. That's, that's us. A chosen race. That's us. That's our design. That's how we were created. That's what his intention was to make when he made us. That. So now he's going to tell us 
the reason for the design. If, if our design is the result of God's desire, we've just read the design. Now we see the desire, how we fulfill the purpose for which we were created. Let's keep reading. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's this, uh, this phrase, this, this kind of theological term that, that you hear in, in a lot of church circles and a lot of pastoral circles. And, and it says this, every believer is, is part of the priesthood. It's, it's called the priesthood of every believer. Here's what that means. That every, we no longer have a, a, a priest that we go to who gets to God on our behalf. No, now we are all part of the priesthood, having direct access to God the Father through Jesus the Son. It's the priesthood of every believer, which means that every believer fulfills the role of priests. And if we're fulfilling the role of priests who are, because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, here's what we are to do now as this royal priesthood and a holy nation. We are to proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Therefore, in order to fulfill your purpose, all right, so we're tracking, I'm just trying to kind of build a case here as we follow this logically. If our design is based on God's desire and God's desire is to receive glory, and so he designed us to give glory, how do we do that? We do that by proclaiming the excellencies of his name, the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous Light. Therefore, to not fulfill our purpose is to use what we have been given and how we have been created to do something other than it was intended or for a purpose that it was not intended to be used for. A bunch of years ago, a bunch of years ago now, before I was a pastor, um, I was a service technician. And every year, the company that I worked for would provide us with a tool allowance to be able to, to purchase tools for some of the stuff that we did. And back then, again, a lot of years ago, about the only company that I could find that would give the lifetime warranty on their tools was Craftsman. And so I always bought Craftsman tools because if you tear it up and you take it back to them, it had a lifetime warranty, you could get a replacement. But there was a stipulation to their policy of getting a new tool to replace the old tool that was torn up. That you had to have damaged the tool using the tool for what it was designed to do. Right? So here's... Me, knucklehead, walking up into Sears with my craftsman screwdriver that's in the shape of a U. And saying, hey, uh, I need a new screwdriver because this one is bent. And she says, okay, so you understand that um, you know, we can only give you a new tool if the tool broke doing that which it was designed to do. And I was like, yeah, that screw was really tight. I mean, just, I mean, you have no idea the kind of strength I have you know, to be able to bend. A, no. Because I had bent the screwdriver trying to pry up a manhole lid that weighed about 50, 60 pounds in this, you know, with, a, with a tweaker, <laughs> tweaker screwdriver. Because um, I'm smart like that. And so, needless to say, I didn't, get an, I didn't get another tool. Because I had not used the tool for the purpose that it was designed to be used for. In this, and therefore, it was, it's not, the results were not good. In the same way, if we are designed, we are designed to do something specific that will bring God the, the perfect amount of glory he, that he has designed us to bring him, and we fail to do it, we are not living into the 
potential or the purpose for which we were created, which was what? To proclaim the excellencies of him. I found the definition of proclaim this week. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Proclaim means to announce or declare in open or ostent- in an open or ostentatious way. To indicate or make known publicly or openly. Let me ask you the question. How are we doing with that? How are you doing with publicly, openly, and ostentatiously proclaiming the excellencies of the God you believe in. Here's what I've kind of come to understand about this proclaiming thing. It's really scary, isn't it? Kind of scary to talk about God to other people. Let's be honest. It's a little bit frightening. And I think there's several reasons for that. I want to talk through those just a little bit to see if I can help us all now live into the purpose for which we were created to be proclaimers of the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Number one, it's, it's scary because I think we've um, incorrectly defined success. You see, we define success when it comes to sharing our faith with other people as to whether or not they make a decision to follow Christ. That, uh, yeah, I, about, about the fourth or fifth time I share Jesus with somebody and they tell me to go you know, jump in a lake, and I start to feel rejected, and I'm rejected, and I'm rejected. It's like, you know what? This whole sharing the gospel thing kind of stinks. I think I'll stop. And that, makes, that makes a lot of logical sense to me because we've defined success in sharing the faith. We've, we've defined success in sharing the gospel as the person that I'm sharing the gospel with would then give their life to Christ. But if, listen to me. If that is our definition of success as it, as it pertains to sharing the gospel, then Jesus was a massive failure in sharing the gospel. Because time and time and time again that Jesus interacted with somebody, put the gospel in front of them, he was rejected over and over and over. Remember the Pharisees? They rejected him to the point of crucifying him on a cross. Remember the, the, the rich young ruler, if you've got any kind of background in church or whatever, this young guy, lots of money, comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you and I want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like, awesome, go sell all your stuff. And he, it was too much for him. He couldn't do it. He rejected the gospel because of his possessions. So if we define success in sharing the gospel, is that every time I share the gospel, somebody gives their life to Christ. If that's our definition of success, then we're going to, repeatedly feel like a failure, and we've also lumped Jesus into the category of failing. Here's my problem with that. Jesus was perfect. He never failed at anything. And so if that's my definition of success as it pertains to sharing the gospel, then I need to shift my definition. Because the definition never was, and it was never our role to do the saving. What, what was the definition? Why, why are we created? Why are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for its own position? So that you may proclaim. There's your, there's your definition of a successful sharing of the gospel. It's just in the sharing, in the proclamation, in the proclaiming we are successful. We bring glory to God when we fulfill our purpose of being banner carriers for the gospel. And we leave the saving up to him. We were never intended to save. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's work 
inside of people. God gets glory when we make the decision to be those proclaimers, those who share. The other thing that, uh, that I run into all the time, and we just had this conversation with, in my Connect group this week. They have the, um, my Connect group has the distinct um, opportunity to deal with me as I'm preparing for the week after, uh, in the middle of the week while we're already meeting about the week that already happened. And so they typically get kind of the preview for the upcoming sermon um, just because it's so fresh and new. And so we were kind of talking through this, this this week. Another reason that I feel like people don't feel like sharing their story is because they, they don't know or sharing the gospel is because they don't understand the Bible enough. They don't feel like they understand the Bible enough. Well, well, Pastor Brian, if I knew as much about the Bible as you did, I'd be sharing my faith all the time. Let me, let me see if I can fix that for you. What is the gospel? I talked about this. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of Jesus and the impact that it's had on our life, right? That's, that's the gospel. It's Jesus' story. It's the gospel. How does Jesus' story impact me and affect me? That's my story in his story. Right? You following? Somebody do like this. Help me. I feel like I'm losing you. All right, good. My story in his story. It's what it's done for me. So when we share the gospel, what we're sharing is the account of Jesus and how it has impacted me. What else do you need to know? Here, let, me, let me help you with your story as it pertains to Jesus if you're a Jesus follower. I was like this. I met Jesus. Now I'm like this. That's my story in his story. That's how his story has changed my story. Well, what about in Leviticus when it says that people shouldn't wear clothes made of multiple fibers? I was like this. I met Jesus. Now I'm like this. Well, what about when the Bible's... It was me. Old me. Jesus. Knew me. Well, 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 old me, Jesus knew me. Who knows that story better than you? It's great to have a theology degree. I'll have one at the end of the summer. It's great. It's awesome. And I love to talk apologetics, and I love to defend why we believe what we believe. And I love all of that stuff. But you don't have to be a seminary grad to share the gospel because the gospel is the story of Jesus and how it is impacting your story and the role that you now have in proclaiming his story. And if all you know of his story is how it has changed you, that's enough. Old me. Jesus knew me. You know what's awesome about that version of the gospel? Nobody can debate you on it. Nobody can tell you you're wrong. There's no way you feel differently. Okay. I do. What authority do I have you to tell you about how you feel? None. 
Zero. And how many times, how many times have you pursued something or checked something out just on the recommendation of somebody else? Movies, restaurants, places to go, vacation spots. Real, I mean, come on, the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Hey, anybody, how many times on a week do you see on Facebook, hey, anybody know a good person that does? Fill in the blank. Mechanic, baker, lawyer, what, like, how many times? All the time. How far would your story in the gospel go at moving somebody else toward a relationship with Jesus? And here's the best part. When we do that, we fulfill the purpose for which we were created. In Jesus. Old me, Jesus, over here in this world, I'm a chosen race. I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, designed and created and crafted and gifted in whatever way he saw fit for this purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You get this whole crafting idea, right? Who you are and where you are and how you are. That's all part of God's plan. To wish that you had something other or that you were someone else. We talked about this in the comparison message a bunch of weeks ago. Is an affront to God who designed you, gifted you, called you Married you to who you're married to and all their crazy family. Because if they're crazy, I mean, it's just hypothetical. Just stay, don't be, get offended. He's talking about my mama. Like, don't, hang on. You are where you are and how you are and who you are designed to be who you are. Because you, in your life, listen to me, you in your life have the most potential to give God the most amount of glory of anybody else that he could have put in your life. To wish that away is an affront to a holy and sovereign God. So here's my encouragement. Like that's, he's really chipper this morning. Here's my encouragement. Here's my encouragement. You are the perfect you. To bring God the absolute most amount of glory that you possibly could in your life. That's why you are where you are and who you are and designed to be who you are. You just got to make the decision. Every day when you get up. Today, I will live for the purpose that I was designed to, which is to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. You can write this down. Here's a great application question for you. Every morning, we have to answer the glory question. Every morning when you open your eyes and you sit up in your bed and you spin your hips around to the floor, and before your feet hit the floor, you have a decision to make and a question to answer. And here it is. Whose glory will I live for today? Whose 
And I'm going to stop asking the question, what does God want for me and from me? And how, what? And I'm going to answer this question. What does God want? God wants glory. And today I make the decision to live for his glory and not my own. Today I make the decision to be a proclaimer of the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the story of Jesus. How much of the story of Jesus do you know? I don't know. But I know that for all of us that have a relationship with God, we have one version of the gospel that nobody can refute. You want to know what it is? Old me, Jesus, knew me. That is your story. That is your message. Let's go proclaim it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I hope that today is both encouraging and maybe even challenging for us. But God, I hope that it's also creating or originating within us in this very moment as we speak and as we pray. This commitment. That every single morning when I wake up with breath in my lungs and blood in my veins, that God, I will answer this question, whose glory am I going to live for today with this answer? God, I choose to live for you and for your glory. And I know that the way that I best do that is by keeping your story on my lips. God, may we never miss an opportunity. May we never be so caught up in our comfort. May we never be so scared or so intimidated by our lack of knowledge of theology. God, may there be no obstacle that stands between us and fulfilling the purpose for which we were created to be proclaimers of your excellence. Because God, in that moment, when we do that, when we tell our story through yours, God, we're giving glory to the only one who deserves it, and that's you. So Father, would you help us to be bold and confident as we proclaim the difference that you and your son Jesus are making in our lives. We love you, Father. We thank you that we have a story to tell because of your son. So it is in his name, the one that is above every other name and the reason for which we celebrate that we pray. Amen.